Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. Amen, amen. Well, it's good to see you, church family. How are we? Good, all right, yeah. Well, it is good to be with you. It's an exciting morning for the history of our church. It's an exciting morning for my family, and so, man, it is great to be with you. I want you to know that over the last five years, God has given my family such a love, a special and unique love for the body of First Baptist Belton, but not only the body of First Baptist Belton, but also our community. And so it is such a pleasure. It's such an honor to be considered as the next senior pastor here at First Baptist Belton. As Pastor Andy said on his final sermon, I say to you this morning, I truly feel as though I am the most blessed man alive. I mean that with all of my heart, and I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't thank all of the people who have made this day possible. First and foremost, I want to thank the pastor search team. Church, you, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, elected an incredible group of people, group of men and women that my family will always consider close friends and family, and I have to tell you, I don't know that I've ever felt so loved I don't know that I've ever felt so supported by anybody in my entire life. And so team, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. You guys put me through the ringer um, and I would have had it no other way. I'm glad that you did on this side. I'm very glad that you did through it. It was, it was interesting. So every, <laughs> every moment was incredible. I can, I can assure you this, that they were incredibly intentional Every meeting was bathed in prayer, and it was certainly led by the Spirit, and we were just truly blessed through each step of the process. Elders, I want to thank you for your time, for your prayer and your consideration. Staff, I would not be standing here before this congregation if it weren't for you. My success is truly a product of your success and your hard work. You're the greatest staff in the world, and I love you so much. I'm so honored and blessed uh, beyond all belief to be able to lead us into the future. And so I'm just so thankful that you would consider me worthy of following. And so I want you to know how thankful that I am for that. And of course, I want to thank my family, many of whom have traveled a great, great distance to be here this morning. And so thank you for, for being here, for your love and your support. My incredible bride, um, I would not be here without you. You're the love of my life, my best friend, partner in life and ministry, so thank you for that. Thank you for, for blessing me. In fact, if I didn't know that already, the pastor search team and the elders made it very clear that uh, while I'm standing up here today, they actually chose my wife. I, I am just, uh, I'm just along for the ride. They, they just felt like they would tolerate me, and so... Um, Church, it will not take you long to find out that, that you will be far more blessed by my wife than you ever will be by me. I can tell you that for sure. And finally, Pastor Andy. Uh, Pastor, I, uh, I'm so thankful for the groundwork that you and Dr. Kemp have led to this day. You have set the bar for me, and I plan to do my best to absolutely live up to that. My prayer is that God would give me 35 years of faithful and fruitful ministry here at First Baptist. I'll never forget the conversation that you had and you said, Logan, you got you to gotta one-up me. You got to get 33 years. And um, Pastor, I'm going to do my best to do that. Your prayer, 
Your friendship, your encouragement have meant the world to me. And so I want you to know how thankful that I am for you. And I'm thankful for our continued partnership and mentorship that, that we will continue for many, many years. Thank you. Well, church, we are moving into a new chapter, a new story in the history of our church There are many unknowns. I think we all are very well aware of those. There's many question marks. But I believe with all of my heart that God is in the business of leading his people. He promises to never leave us. He promises to never forsake us. And I don't think that now is the time where he is going to leave or forsake us. I want you to know that what we perceive to be unknowns are recent history for the God of the universe. I believe with all of my heart that when we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. We need only to trust that he is good, that he has a plan, and that he is worthy of our worship. And so this morning, what I want to talk to you about are those three things. I want to talk to you about God's plan for us. I want to talk to you about the fact that God is good. And I want to talk to you about the fact that he is worthy of our worship. And so if you would, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. We're going to be in Exodus 33 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There, the text will be on the screen for you here just momentarily. If you have it on a device, that's wonderful too. As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of the context. In this passage, God is moving Israel into a new chapter, a new chapter of life. You may recall that he has called them out of Egypt, out of a life of slavery, and into a life of freedom. And while at times their future seemed questionable, seemed like they had many unknowns, God met them right where they were, and he provided for them every single step. When they were hungry, God was faithful to feed them. When they were thirsty, God satisfied their thirst. When they needed direction, God was faithful to raise up leaders to guide them and to wreck them. And God would even give his very own presence to them. And now he has called them to leave Sinai and move into a new chapter. And so Moses, he goes before the Lord and he begins to pray. You'll find this in verse 12 of chapter 33 if you'll read along with me. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. But yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to them. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of this earth? And then the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, please, God, show me your glory. Well, in this passage, there are two unique things that I want you to see. Two unique things are going to lay the groundwork for the rest of the sermon. And the first one is this, that Moses pleads for direction. When God is turning the page to a new chapter of their history, Moses goes before the Lord and he prays for direction. 
I don't know if you knew this or not, but true vision is always born in prayer. In fact, I would even argue that vision does not happen apart from prayer. I've heard it said that Christians and Christian leaders ought to be more concerned with their vision of God rather than their vision for God. See, there's a difference there, right? See, it's in our vision of God, of his character, of his nature, that then lays the groundwork. It lays the pathway for God's vision for us. With all the unknowns that stand before Israel, Moses goes to the Lord and he prays for direction. He says, Lord, show me your ways. Show me your direction. And church family, as we consider all that lay before us, we must not just be a church that prays, but we must be a praying church. As mentioned before, we have many challenges. We have many obstacles that lay before us. We are not unlike Israel, but through prayer and a vision of God, those same obstacles become opportunities for God to work in and through us for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. So Moses, he pleads for direction, but secondly, Moses consecrates the people of Israel to God. In the latter half of verse 13, Moses says, consider too that this nation is your people. As a leader, Moses recognizes that the people of God are not his, but rather they're God's. And God has given these people to him to steward for his glory. It reminds me of the well-known passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, where Peter, he charges the elders. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Because even Peter recognizes the true nature of all Christian leadership is in the fact that the people that God gives us to care for, the very people that we are accountable to, are not ours, but they're God's. Church family, there is nothing that I would love more than to become your pastor. I would love that so very, very much. But you will not, and you will never be exclusively my people. For you will always be God's people, in whom I have the opportunity to lead, to serve, and to shepherd. And listen, that is great news That's great news because while you're not my people, you're God's people. You're God's children. God's children that he promises to never leave nor to forsake. And as God's children, that means that he has a far more invested interest in us and our future than any one man or any one group of people. God is far more invested in this church than I can ever dream or imagine. And that is good news. So God, or so Moses, he goes before the Lord, he asks direction for the Lord, he consecrates the people of God to the Lord, and then he asks of the Lord three distinct things. He asks three things. The first one is that he asks for God's presence. The second thing that God, that that Moses asks of God is distinction. And then the third, he asks for glory. And church, I believe that it's these three things that are absolutely necessary. As we consider our future and all that lie ahead, there's three things that are necessary. It's God's presence, it's His distinction, and it's His glory. And so I want to begin with the first one. Church, as we consider the future, we must be a church. We must be a people who seek to live in God's presence. Above all else, we must be a people who seek to live in God's presence presence. Moses calls out to God in verse 15. He says, if your presence will not go with me, he says, do not bring us up from here. Moses is not interested in moving into a new chapter apart from God. And guess what? Neither are we. 
We need God's presence. We long for God's presence. We want God's presence. And more than anything else, what we need most as we consider our future, our hearts in love with God who seek to walk with Him. Church, we must not only be a praying people, but we must be a people who walk with God. We must be a people who are satisfied in Him alone, who recognize that all of the success in the world is mere vanity compared to the worth of knowing Him. To be a healthy and thriving church that we long to be, we must be a church that walks with God. You know, not only did Moses believe this, but Jesus too gives us this directive in John 15. Very well-known passage. In verses 4 through 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This word abide, it's a great word. It means to remain, to remain in him and to remain with him. But like a pace setter in a race, we are to stay with him. We don't want to get ahead of him. We don't want to stay behind him. We want to be right with him. We want to be walking every step side by side with Christ. And therefore, that means that we must be a people who do not allow ourselves to compartmentalize our lives, but rather we must be a people who invite Jesus into every aspect of our life. It means that both individually and collectively, that we must live our lives open to God's leading. We must live our lives open to His leading, to His correction, and to His purpose for our lives not only individually, but collectively, we must submit our lives over to God and say, God, whatever you will, we are all in. Whatever you call us to, God, we are in. And here's the reason. Verse 5. Because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Did you catch that? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In our day and age, there are many resources, there are many conferences, there are many books written on how to grow a church, how to maintain a healthy, thriving church, how to do all of those things. But hear me, while I love all of those things, I love to read them, I love to read leadership books, I love to read all of those things, they are subservient to a people who walk with God. They are subservient to a church that walks with God. You show me a healthy church and I'll show you a church that walks with God. You show me a thriving church and I will show you a church that walks with God, who is linked arm in arm, hand in hand with the God of the universe. Church, we must seek to live in God's presence. But number two, as we walk with God, we learn that we become distinct from the rest of the world. In verse 16, Moses, he asks a great question. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? And ironically, he answers his own question with a question. He says, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And then in verse 17, God responds by saying this. He says, this very thing I will do, Moses. In other words, he says, I'm all in. So Moses, he comes to God and he says, hey, God, how do I know that that I have your favor? How do I know that we... Will be different in the world. 
And then he answers the question. He says, is it not by your presence that we are distinct? That our distinction, that our favor in the world comes not by our economic success or by our careers or by the how big of a home that we have or any of those things, but it comes by God's very presence. Church, we must be a people who are distinct. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible is Acts chapter 4. After the death and resurrection of Jesus and now Pentecost, tensions are high in Jerusalem. You can you might imagine that, right? Jesus, this Messiah, so to speak, comes in. He comes into Jerusalem and the religious elite have him uh, whipped, beaten, mocked, thrown up on a cross and hung. And there he dies. And then on the third day, he is resurrected to new life. It causes a lot of tension in Jerusalem. Religious elite trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what have we done? Political rulers are trying to figure out how do we control the chaos that's now in Jerusalem. And then to make all matters worse, the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost. The disciples are preaching boldly, specifically John and Peter are preaching boldly. And then they're brought into the Jerusalem council. And there, I want, to, I want you to see how they're described in chapter 4, verse 13. They stand before the Jerusalem council, and this is how they're described. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. And here's why. For they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. They noticed that they were common, uneducated men. They weren't amazed by how much money they had or how successful they were or how successful their church was. They were amazed because they were recognized as people who had been with Jesus. And it got me thinking, what if the people in whom we interact on a day-to-day basis, what if they said, man, that person has been with Jesus on a larger scale, what, what if what if the people of Bell County saw First Baptist Belton and they said, wow, I don't know what they're drinking. I don't know what's in the water there. But man, those people love Jesus. They have been with Jesus. I wonder if we too would be like the church in Ephesus who through their influence, God changed the world. I just wonder if we might be a great influence in Bell County. I wonder if God, what God would do if we were recognized not as First Baptist Belton or the people of First Baptist Belton, but as a people collectively who walk with Jesus, who have been with Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus, he continues this theme by telling his people that they are the salt of the earth. In other words, they are a preservative of life on the earth. And then in verse 14, he says that they are the light of the world. While they are preservative of life in the world, they are also a lighthouse to those lost at sea. Like a life raft thrown to those who are drowning beneath the waves of the ocean, we are a preservative of life. But not only that, but we are light for those who are lost at sea. In the midst of the storm, hopeless and afraid, you and I are the light of the world by whom they can navigate to safety, to a safe shore, namely Jesus. We are the salt. We are the light. But I want you to notice something. 
Jesus never says, go and be these things, but rather he says that you are these things. Our fundamental identity as the people of God is life and hope for those in a dark world. And you may be saying, well, Logan, I've heard that all of my life. I've memorized that passage. Well, what does that look like? What, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for me? And I think Paul, he gives us a, a great vision for what that looks like in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. You've probably memorized this as well. In verse, 23, verse 22, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And while many of us have probably memorized this passage, these two verses, sadly, these traits are very rare today, even amongst Christians. I've thought about this a lot and I've asked myself, I wonder why that is. Why is it that peace and patience are so rare, even amongst the body of Christ? Why is kindness such a thing of the past? Why does it seem like there are no more charitable conversations anymore? All you need to do is look to the media, look to social media, any, any of the news outlets, and you will quickly see that kindness is something that we have somehow forgotten. And I think the reason is, is because we have failed to live our lives open and available to God's leading, to his correction and his purpose. We have failed to walk with God. And my desire, church, is that as we move forward into the future, that we would not just be a church who does church on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or, you know, Sunday school or whatever it is, but we would be a church who walks with God in every aspect of our lives. That when people see us, they wouldn't just see us as people, but they would see us as people who love Jesus intimately, who serve Jesus passionately and share Jesus globally. That's a mission that you and I must embody as the people of First Baptist Belton, and I am thrilled to death for what that means for us. So we must be a church who walks with God. We must be a church who is distinct from the rest of the world. But thirdly, we must commit to chasing God's glory over our own. We must be a people who chase God's glory over our own. In verse 18, Moses, he calls out to God and he pleads with him. He says, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing that I would love to see more than a true movement of God in our church. Man, I would love nothing more than to see a true movement of God in Belton. I would love nothing more to see a true movement of God in Temple and the greater Bell County area. I would love that. But the only way that that happens is if we have a heart of worship for God and Him alone. See, revival, true revival, doesn't begin with anything other than hearts in love with God. Pleading with Him, asking Him to come and to move. And so my hope is that is that you and I would be that church. That we would have hearts in love with Him and Him alone. Tonight, you have the opportunity to make one of my dreams come true. You have, one of the, you have the opportunity to make one of the greatest dreams of my life come true to, as you vote me in as your pastor. I would be thrilled and I would be honored and blessed beyond all belief, but there's one thing that you need to know and you need to understand. I am just a man. 
I am just a man, and that means that I am unfit to be a king. There's only one king, and his name is Jesus. As a people, we long for leadership. We truly do. We long for leadership. We long for vision. We long to be led. We long to be given a direction. And, and, and we even have deep within us a desire to accomplish a mission and, and to see that vision come to fruition. You even see this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Maybe you recall this daunting and, and confounding chapter of the Bible. The people of Israel, they too were longing for a king. They begin to look around at all the different nations that surrounded them and, and they begin to notice something that, wow, life seems pretty good for them. And they started noticing, well, they have a king. And so they started believing too, well, maybe all of my problems can, will, will go away if I just have a king. If we have someone to lead us, to direct us, and maybe if, if we have a king, then this problem or that problem would go away. And so the people come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. We, de- we desire a king. We long for a king. So Samuel, he goes to the Lord and he prays to the Lord. And in verse 7 of chapter 8, the Lord says this to Samuel. He says, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. In other words, do exactly what they want. Give them a king. And hear this. For they have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me from being king over them. You know, I've said this from the very beginning of this process, and I believe it now with all of my heart. It's not a pastor that we need. What we need most is God. And we need Him to lead us into our future. And that means that we cannot be a people who chase anyone's man's glory, nor should we chase the glory that comes from a building or any perceived growth. We must be a people who are about chasing God and His glory and His glory alone. For our church to be the church that we long for it to be, we must be a people who chase God and His glory above all other things. That means that you and I, that means it's going to cost us. That means it's going to cost us our crowns. It's going to cost us our preferences. It's going to cost us some of the things that we love and hold nearest and dearest to our hearts. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost all of us. But the beauty of it is, is that the call to follow Jesus is one where he calls us to come and bid our lives to die. To take our crowns, to remove it off of our head and to lay it at the foot of the cross. And so church, I'm calling you, I'm calling me as we move forward into the future that we would be a people who lay our crowns at the foot or at the feet of Jesus. I am unfit to be a king. You are unfit to be a king. You are unfit to be a queen. But Jesus is worthy. But Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of all of our worship and he is worthy of all the glory that is due his name. And so let's give him that glory. Let's worship him and him alone. I want to close with this final thought from... Uh, J.A. Reynolds, Dr. J.A. Reynolds, in his book on the history of our church, he praises First Baptist Belton for her rich history. And then at the very end of the book, the last paragraph, he writes this, and I want you to see it. He says, a church that only looks back is doomed to die. While FBC deems it appropriate to look back at its 150-year past, there is a great sense of expectation that its greatest years lie ahead. That dream will be realized only if the church continues to be characterized by love, 
peace, unity, caring, meeting needs, and changing the methods, not the message of ministering to people. Wow. It sounds like a church that seeks to walk in God's presence. It sounds like a church who is distinct from all of the peoples on earth. It sounds like a church that's after God and His glory more than our own. You know what else? That sounds like a church that I want to be a part of. That sounds like a church that I hope that you want to be a part of. And so church, the future is before us. And I believe with all of my heart, I agree with Dr. Reynolds, I believe that it is a great future. I believe our years, our greatest years lie before us. We have an incredible and rich history that I am so proud to stand upon. And yet I am so excited for what God is going to do. I believe there are great things ahead of us. And so I'm excited, I'm honored, I'm blessed beyond belief to be and considered as your next pastor, and I cannot wait to get started with you as we seek to walk with God, as we seek to be distinct, as we seek to invite others into the light that is Jesus Christ, a church who chases God's glory together for years to come. That's an exciting days ahead, church, and I cannot wait to be a part of it with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, your kindness. And God, I thank you for the rich history that we have here at First Baptist Belton. God, you have been with us for 168 years. And God, I am very confident that you are going to continue to be with us into the future. God, I pray that you would unite our hearts. God, I pray that you would bring our church together. And God, I pray that as you are here with us now and we trust that you have gone before us into our future, God, I just pray that you give us that vision that whatever it is, Father, we will lay our crowns at your feet and we will celebrate you. We will celebrate your work in and through us. And Father, whatever comes our way, God, we will be grateful. We'll be grateful for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.